Welcome to Voices from the Bench, a dental laboratory podcast. Send us an email at info at voicesfromthebench.com or look for us on Facebook at Voices from the Bench. Greetings and welcome to episode 182 of Voices from the Bench. My name is Elvis. And my name is Bridge. Bridge. <laughs> so I should say Roundhouse. It's not fitting. Last week you had the, your worst day ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And from what I understand, today you're still working on the same Roundhouse. Oh, yeah. It didn't fit. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yeah, it didn't fit. And he shoved it on the implant abutment and cracked it on number nine. Took a new scan. And a new impression, which of course was distorted, took a new scan, didn't scan it properly, asked me to do it in four days, which he scanned it on Friday and wanted it today. So you can imagine how much fun that was because you got 13 hours in the oven, 13 hours to design pretty much, blah, blah, blah. So the freaking bridge didn't fit again, did they? Oh, you've upset my dogs. Yeah, well, you better bleep the F word out. So I flew over there, cut it, finally convinced him to cut it between eight and nine because they're implants for crying out loud. They're not going to move. Yeah. Winged a contact, just tried to give it my best because it didn't fit on the printed model. So I couldn't do the contact and went back over there, flew back over there and he seated it. Yay. I'm going to have some tequila tonight. It's a tequila night. Just saying. You deserve it. I do. Because what is this? Is this two weeks now you've been no, working on the uh, same five roundhouse? Weeks. Five. Five weeks. Six bridges in five weeks. It's this just, poor patient. I know, and I had to apologize. She was super nice to me and very grateful. And, you know, if he would have done his job right the first time I asked him, or the first four times I asked him, but I'll take the credit for dropping it and breaking it, but that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so let me get this straight. He forced it on an implant abutment and broke it? Yeah, he broke like the facial margin on number eight because it was... Wow, you got to really force that thing I on. I know. <laughs> what, I mean, if it doesn't drop right in, you shouldn't really... Well, what do I know? <laughs> uh, and then I handed the bridge to my coworker and I said, this bridge is haunted. Get it the hell out of here. And he's the same guy that helped me w- with the contacts. I go over there, I see the bridge on his desk. I'm like, dude, I told you to get rid of the freaking bridge. It's bad luck. You kept it. <laughs> you're supposed to put it on the wall frame it let it be inspiration take it outside the lab throw it out get rid of it i don't want the karma i'm gonna have to sage myself when i get home (laughs) drink some oil or whatever people do enough of that how are you i'm doing well good i actually got to go visit labs in downtown chicago this week I don't go to Chicago unless it's the uh, lab day. Yeah. So it was nice to actually walk around in nice weather. I'm sure. I went there, what, two weeks ago and it was fantastic. It yeah, it's you. beautiful. I'm going to sound like a really big hick Indiana country boy, but it was really neat visiting labs on like the 17th floor and the 11th oh, floor and the 9th floor. I had no idea there were labs up there. I didn't either. That's fascinating. These people have amazing views i can't imagine what they pay to have a lab there it's got to be i don't know it's just really neat you go up these elevators 17 floors and here's a lab yeah it was quite fascinating (laughs) well good i'm glad you uh, are enjoying your new job and being able to travel with preet god we can't go a podcast without saying that so there you have i said it for you (laughs) 
Speaking of, if you're going to find yourself in the Winston-Salem area of North Carolina this weekend, which is September 24th to the 25th, I will be speaking at the Eastern Conference of Dental Laboratories about marketing your lab. Oh, fantastic. I don't do it anymore, but I used to. This is a really good regional conference that's put on by a really dedicated board. Because not only do you get to see me be all nervous on stage... I will also be at the <clears throat> Preet booth uh-huh. recording for the podcast all weekend. Without his partner in crime. Yeah. Because I can't travel as much as you do now. You're a traveling beast. Me, not so much. So have fun. I appreciate it, and I will. <laughs> Make sure you first go to eastern-conference.com to register, then go to the show, and then stop by and record with me. It will be a blast. Last time they had the show was two years ago, and it was a ton of fun with some great speakers. And this year looks even better. And I'm going to start my presentation soon. All right. Well, good luck to you. <laughs> Who was telling? Oh, Eric. This this interview, he talks about starting everything like the night before. Oh, yeah. I'm taking, That's the only way. I'm taking his advice. <laughs> Under pressure, we move a lot faster. So this week, we talked to a denturist that I think has the record for the most webinars. That is, if we had awards for that sort of thing. Eric Kukuka, the owner of the Denture Center in Windsor, Ontario, comes on the podcast to talk about the unique way his semi-famous father encouraged him to find a way to succeed in life and how he fell in love with removables. Eric also talks about his experiences in school, opening a couple different practices, and how and why he got into the digital workflow. He's a denturist but he's actually a true technician at heart. So join us as we chat with Eric Kukuka. Whitmix's new VeraWash resin cleaning station is the ideal piece of equipment to use in the 3D printed resin post-process. It's oscillating, multi-speed stirrer produces or tornado-like vortex every 30 seconds and guarantees efficient, effective, and powerful cleaning whether the units are individual or still attached to the build plate. The two alcohol baths make an effective step wash system. It cleans more efficiently and there's less alcohol needed since it is reused for both a fresh bath and a dirty bath. The VeraWash's intelligent design offers features such as mode, time, and a start-stop button display, which gives the operator full and automatic control of the cleaning process. A mesh basket used in the wash container makes it easy to keep track of all small, printed parts when cleaning. The affordable unit's one-year warranty ensures peace of mind for the owner. So visit them at whipmix.com or call one 800 626 5651 for more information about this great new product. And as always, we appreciate your support of the podcast, Whitmix. Voices from the Bench. The Interview. We'd like to welcome to the podcast a well-known gentleman in our industry, but also the denturist. But we are talking today with Eric Kakushka. Did I do all right? Well done. Well done. Yeah, nice. President and owner of probably the best name you could possibly have for a denturist, the Denture Center. 
How are you today? Elvis, I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me here. I think you're probably the most webinared person ever. It seems like <laughs> every time I turn around, you have a webinar out there. But Eric, we'd like to kind of find out your history. How did you get started in all this? It's an interesting story. I, I'll make a really long one really, really short for you in the interest of time and everyone's patience. Take your time. We have a whole podcast to fill, so let's, let's get to the details. <laughs> Basically, you know, I, I always had to work with my hands. I love to draw. I love to build things. I love to, you know, the hand-eye dexterity has always just kind of been my thing, a really hands-on person. But I wasn't the best student, per se, when it come to cracking the books. So, you know, my father kind of had one of those deep talks of, you know, you're going to go a couple ways in your life. You're either going to crack the books and learn to do something or you're going to end up on the street. So kind of took me to a drive down in this scary neighborhood and said, you want to live here or you want to live over there? You know? <laughs> and we had a close family friend that uh, is a denturist and I really liked his lifestyle. And I went to kind of visit his lab and his denture clinic. And I, I love that you know working with a lathe and working with your hands and mixing polymethylmethacrylate and working with wax. And it, it, it really intrigued me. So from the eighth grade on, I knew I wanted to be a denturist. From the eighth grade, wow. Yeah, and that's this is what I wanted to be. I and mean, it was kind of that one day with my dad that uh, kind of turned everything around. Um, so that's really when I knew what I wanted to do. You know, the backup plan was to be a chartered accountant, actually, because I loved numbers. So I had some football scholarships. And kind of once I got into the 12th grade, it was make a decision of what you want to do where you want to go. And I decided this profession, I think, because of the aging population, the demographics of the baby boomers, you know, I think it was uh, the right decision to make. So would you say your father scared you straight into this profession? One thousand percent. If you could put me on that similar to that TV show. where yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how that drive felt that day. And it was the funny thing is, he says, so we went to the bad neighborhood and then the nice neighborhood. And he says, you got about 30 minutes to decide what you're going to do, because by the time you get home, I want an answer, and I don't want you to say anything the whole ride home. So, oh, yeah. geez. <laughs> well, so when you graduated high school, obviously you knew somebody in the industry. What, what did you do after high school? Where did you go? What lab did you start at? The nice thing about the Denturism program is you can actually go right out of high school and go to, uh, there's many Denturists programs in Canada. And I know there's online versions for the United States as well. Todd Young's doing the American Denture. Yeah. Yes. College doing an amazing job what they've done over there and seeing the, the exponential growth of, of what they're doing down there. So I want to give kudos and a shout out for sure to Todd and his entire team and anybody else that's really helped that grow, but very much the same here in, in Canada. So I graduated from high school and I actually didn't go apprentice. I didn't do anything. I actually walked into this profession or the academia portion green. Um, and I have to say it was one of the best things for me because I didn't come in with any preconceived notions or any attitude per se. Mm, yeah. And I actually, when I was in my first year at George Brown, I was going to quit. I hated it <laughs> because I just couldn't grasp it. It wasn't my thing. What was it? Like the anatomy or the... Uh... The academics. Yeah. Um, I hear it's tough. Really, yeah. They cram it and cram it and cram it. And, 
you know, you got four midterms on the same day and it's like, oh how do I God. study for this? You know, I'm used to high school and this yeah. isn't you know, normal. <laughs> I remember coming home at Christmas time and my family saying, listen, you're already halfway done your first year. You have rent to pay. Uh, we don't give up on things in this house. So you want to give up after you've finished a year? Go ahead, but don't don't waste it. So Good old dad again. somehow, <laughs> some way, a light bulb went on and I just, my dad said, when you go back there, anything that you do, you're going to do it three times. Not once, not twice, three times until you get it right. And from that point on, Elvis and Barbara, it was just lights out. I became top of my class. I, even if I got an eight out of 10 on a bike block, I did it till I got a 10 out of 10, you know, and that's the repetition, repetition, repetition. Yeah. I'm curious. What did your dad do? He must so have my had- dad is, <laughs> yeah. My dad is actually a world renowned, North American, at least renowned chef. He's in the American Academy of Chefs in both the United States and Canada. Wow! He's got a lot of innovation awards. He's a part of a secret society of chefs as well, where there's only 49 of them. I can't say the name of the the society, but someone has to die in order for someone to come in. So come on. (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's pretty, pretty renowned and passionate and a perfectionist really when it comes to, to uh, culinary, um, culinary arts, as we call it. So your youth was not full of hot dogs and mac and cheese (laughs) and chicken patties and like the rest of us, right? Believe it or not, Elvis, I had my plenty fair share of KD and everything else, because when you're a perfectionist and in the art of cuisine, you're never home. Oh, and that sounds like a dental technician playing sports growing up, right? <laughs> that leaves, hey, we got to hurry up. What are we having? What about this? What about that? You know, and sure, yeah. there was the night to all go pick up takeout from dad, but dad was at the restaurant from 6 a.m. till 9, 10 o'clock at night, right? Wow. So, yeah, was there good family get togethers where there was outstanding meals of beef wellingtons and foie gras <laughs> and those types of things? Absolutely. But to say my upbringing was different than most, no, plenty of chicken fingers, KD, and all those <laughs> nice. kids like to eat. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Went to school, graduated top of the class. What year was that? Did you graduate? It was 2010. Oh, okay. With that repetition thing, it actually allowed me, I finished my third year clinical when I was in second year. So I'd already fulfilled all my requirements. And what also helped me do that was that summer I worked in a dental lab. So full service production labs, quantum technologies, which is now part of the micro dental group. Oh, okay. Um, yep. Local lab here in Windsor, Ontario. I actually worked for Mike Gerard. Oh yeah. I know Mike. Mike knew my dad forever and that's kind of how it went. He said, yeah, I'm going to put your son through the ringer. (laughs) You go from being in school, having three days to make a bite block to 30 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) No pressure. No, here's your time slip. You got 30 minutes. So let's just say the first uh, month or so wasn't that appetizing for me in the real world, but definitely helped hone my strengths. And I, I think I just, I could say that on this podcast to anybody when you're getting into this industry, whether you're going for formal education or not, working in a full service lab will teach you a lot. Yeah. yeah. Did you walk in confident because you're top of your class thinking this is going to be no big deal? And then you find out what a day in a regular full service lab is like and kind of got beat down a little bit? (laughs) Yeah. It was a good self self realization and self reflection of uh, yeah you're not that good yeah yeah. yeah. 
when you went to school, did you learn everything or was it specific to dentures? Yeah, so dentures in, in specific, so removable completes and partials. And then there's a theoretic portion on dental implants as well as a small hands-on component just for an, an implant over denture type of case. The other thing I did in my spare time when I was in school is I actually did a lot of CE. So throughout the summer, whatever CE courses I could get my hands on. I was also doing setup courses, BPS courses, aesthetic courses, all those types of things we were doing as well, because, you know, the academia setting is very good, but also getting some real world experience and some other CE is also never hurts, right? Yeah, you can't replace that. Is that unique for students to do that? Is it after you graduate, then you get the continuing ed? I would say it is a unique thing, Elvis, I think, because you're so worn down really from your nine months um, at school. And the last thing that you want to do in the summer is for most people work um, (laughs) or or go get more CE. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just obsessed with dentures. Um, I, you know, ever since that, after that six months, it's just a little ashamed to say, I mean, I had some Ivoclar and Candelor denture posters in my condo in Toronto. I mean, I was... That's pretty sad, Eric. It is sad. (laughs) It is sad. Sad but true, I guess. How about that? There you go. Farrah Fawcett. Nope. Dentures. (laughs) That's kind of cool. So do you do the internship near your last year? Yeah. So you do do an internship uh, where you have to do, I believe it's now today, I think it's 120 hours. It's just basically part of it. It's a class per yeah. se or part of your curriculum of the apprenticeship. So I did do that with our family friend at the time. So I went in there every time I was home, um, I would go and do that. And you, you start to get the real world experience with doing that. And I think it's a, it's a big eye opener. So we've done that now successfully for five students in the last, I've been in business on my own seven years. We have about five people come through and do that that internship. And it's funny, it's, I see the old me, right? Oh, I yeah. know everything. Oh, yeah. I'm already really good. And it's not that easy, I guess, but it's a, it's a good refresher and a realization for as a student to go through a mentorship, preceptorship program. It's got to be fun on the other end, though. Absolutely. Yeah. Is there something funny that you do? Like you tell them to like go downstairs and grab the metal teeth or something really weird and they spend half a day looking for it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, you know, not really, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think you don't give them a hard time. Uh, well, right? I will say this, actually. So now that you bring that up, yes, when they come in and say, all right, here's an upper wax rim I need you to do for me. And you have one hour to do this. An hour? Yeah, an hour. <laughs> Good luck. Well, I usually have all day. Well, here's the interesting part. It actually should only take you 30 minutes. (laughs) Today, I'm going to give you an hour and a half. You think you can do that for me? And then an hour and a half in, still doing model analysis. (laughs) All right. Well, guess what? Every week that you're here for your preceptorship, this is called a timer. And you're going to start timing yourself until you can get yourself down to that 30 minutes. There you go. It's like boot camp. That's what happened to me. When I worked in the lab and then when I graduated, it was, (laughs) I had a timer over my desk and I was held accountable until I got to that speed. But maintaining quality and and precision, right? It's not always about how fast, it's also about how good, right? Anybody can whip anything up in five or 10 minutes, but is it good? Does it work? And are you remaking it in the end, I guess? Yeah, I could have all the teeth sticking in wax in five minutes, but they ain't going to be in any order. (laughs) (laughs) 
I love the timer idea. Um, we use that here in the lab when we're teaching people um, how to seat and finish or stain and glaze. You know, if you give somebody in an hour to do a tooth and that should take you 15 minutes, they're going to take an hour. And so I think it, it helps, you know, promote speed and timeliness and quality all in one. And it really gives you something to strive for. So I, I super believe in that. That's a great. Yeah, I think it makes a big difference because you have accountability. I think our lives are run by time. Yep. Whether you're on a day off or you're at work or you're planning a trip or a vacation, it's all time management, right? And I think that especially for someone coming out so green from school where no one's taught them time management anyway, right? You know, it's all kind of self, self-taught time management yeah. and you're cramming studying, you're cramming this, you're trying to fit it all in. And, you know, but again, you have three days to make a, a wax rim or even three hours. And, and now it's, Hey, now you got to train, you got to school, school. This is your base foundation. Now it's time to go to the Olympics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We all know how much pressure there is in our industry. So, you know, you have to do things faster, high level, but you, you cannot, take that much time to do anything nowadays because there's just so much work and there's so much to do and there's so much behind the case you're working on that you know to teach them right out of the gate to use time management's really smart. Eric, you went to a college that was specific for denturists, but you did your internship at a lab. Where did you get your patient experience? So when we are at George Brown College, so you have to do at the time it was 38 units, so you had to do a specific amount of full folds, a specific amount of combinations, a specific uh, so full and partial, and then mm-hmm. a specific amount of partial and partial, and so on and so forth. So that's where you get your first kind of patient experience. So there was a clinic seeing patients at the school? Yeah. Oh, okay. Excellent. Oh, yeah. Nice. And then when I graduated, when I went right to work, literally the Monday after graduating on Friday, <laughs> it was, all right. Here's your first patient. Here's this. And I'll tell you, as much as it might have been the the tough love or the school of hard knocks, he sat me down and said, I just want you to understand something. You're not good. (laughs) And you might have been top of your class. You might this. But understand, it takes years and years and years and years to master this. Mm. And I want you to become a master. And you will become a master. But understand, you have a very, very, very long way to go. And I'll let you know when you get to that point. But until then, work hard and do good work. So I've got a question about that. So you love dentures, but part of the whole denturism thing is dealing with the patient. Did you immediately enjoy the interaction with the patient or did that take some time knowing that you loved making dentures? Yeah, 100%, Barbara. It's a great question. And for me, I've always had that gift of gab. As I mentioned to you, I wasn't the best student in grade school because I wanted to be the class clown. That was more (laughs) important to me than studying. Yeah. So I've always kind of had that gift of gab. You know, a lot of the people that my father's been surrounded by growing up uh, in in the community, being a master chef, he's very connected to some, you know, let's just say high net worth people and that type. He works at a country club. So, you know, I kind of grew up around that type of sure. environment. So you learn, you know, how to talk. My dad always shake people's hand, look them in the eye, make sure, did you say oh, hi yeah. to this person? Did you that? Yes, please. No, thank you. So I immediately really love that perspective because really at the end of the day, I'm sure you hear this a lot. Some of the best dentists or most loved dentists may not be the most talented, but they yeah. patients love them. 
right? Because they have mm. the gift of gab. They know yeah. how to talk. So I think that was one thing that I really did pick up immediately following clinical practice was just those conversations. That's great. because And then those patients, you know, they, they refer you. This guy's amazing. Not only does he make an amazing denture, but he's easy to talk to. He understands what I'm saying, where I want to go. And uh, I bet you a lot of people do find that that's a connection they either do or they don't have. You know, so you want to be a technician behind the bench, but not working with the patients or, you know, being going all the way full circle. Yeah, that communication is so key. And I, I talk a lot about this in lectures and, you know, the people we do perceptorship with and stuff is that a vast majority of patients that either are currently wearing removable prosthetics or are the terminal dentition patients, they really are very fearful of dentistry. And a lot of it really comes from a bad previous experience because, yeah. you know, when you really think of, removing all of your teeth and wearing a prosthesis. It's very emotional. It's intense. Yeah. Couldn't imagine. Iatrogenic dentistry of the, I hate to say it, there was good people back then, but the thirties, the forties, the fifties, the sixties, right? Before, you know, not using anesthetic sometimes. Mm. Mm. Oh my God. Patients today are really more willing to speak openly about inappropriate behavior by potentially a previous practitioner or an unfortunate situation um, that they encountered. And that is the main reason they really abandoned their overall oral health. And it's unfortunate, but many patients are, you know, talking about that experience. Found that after a while, you know, started to, oh, I had a bad experience, bad experience, bad experience, bad experience. And, you know, a lot of the reason is, well, eh, I'm pulling all these teeth out anyway, so who cares? cares about preserving the buccal plate who cares about preserving the alveolar bone structures we're just going to take these things out and some of these patients were mutilated Ugh. you know you see it on the horror movies of saw and those types of things but dentistry in those days is not where it is today right oh yeah and these people have had traumatic experiences you have people that i treat that have been wearing dentures since they were in high school you know could you imagine being 14 16 18 years old and being rehabilitated with a complete set of dentures. Isn't that nuts? It's crazy. No, I can't actually. I've, I've never heard that before in all my years. It's horrible. Yeah. A group of dental professionals wrote in an article about a common practice in the Acadian culture of young women's families having their teeth extracted and indentulated at least one arch to make them more quote unquote desirable mate for young men so that husbands wouldn't get stuck paying for their dentures. What? And when you look at a situation like that, it's quite iatrogenic and very disappointing. But these are some of the things that were happening in dentistry. Wow. That is crazy. And that's why in Quebec, there's more denturists than dentists. Damn. So there's just getting back to the main purpose of this where we're getting off. I'm like in shock. I mean, what did people like? I don't want to date you. You still have teeth. You know what I mean? That's nuts. But that's a level of normalcy, right? If you start to look on Facebook forums and if you look at, you know, I think denture support group and, and you see the stories of even people today and some of the experiences they're having, you know, with bad ill-fitting dentures and yeah. oh, I have a gummy smile, what happened? And my implants don't look right or, you know, all these things. And I think, you know, there's two really main facets to, to treating a removable patient. And we look at number one, the psychological aspect, which is imperative, is understanding why they're there, what is the fear, and what is the main goal. But then mm -hmm. on the other side of that requires 
collaboration, communication, and care. And that's, that's our core values here. We call it the three C's or CCC. And you have to collaborate interdisciplinary, whether you're a dentist, a prosto, but you got to collaborate with a good dental technician, right? You have to have good collaboration and you have to be able to communicate, communicate to that interdisciplinary team, communicate with the lab, communicate with the patient, and then you have to care, right? Yeah. Because if there's no care, then there's no collaboration. Absolutely. Right. And most importantly, quality. When you really look at dentistry as a whole, and especially in removable, it's oral engineering, right? Mm-hmm. It's you're following anatomical landmarks, right? Anatomy and physiology, because you have no reference. It's not a single tooth crown or a single tooth implant or, or a molar, right? Yeah. You're trying to, and think of this in the analog world before we get into the digital talk, right? But yeah. think of analog. You have a space where you are heating up wax and individually placing 24, 28, depending on the occlusal scheme and the ascending ramus and all those things, let's just call it 28 teeth in a bilateral balanced situation with hand-eye coordination. Yeah. Right. Think about that. That's why I don't do it. (laughs) Really and truly, right? How many things go through your mind when you're setting that first maxillary central, right? Incise papilla, line angle, tooth position, position of the neck you know, inclination, all those things that's just rapid, 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 rapid go, but you could do that 28 times. Mm. And then you go back and check it again and again and again and again and again. Right. And then the wax shrinks and then this happens and this moves and then you go try it in and the midline's off. But all that aside is, you know, you're following the rules and the principles that really have been instilled from the forties and the fifties and the sixties, right? The, mm. the yeah. Earl pounds, the Bonwells, the Gerbers, the Geezies, like, you know, all these things really haven't changed of how we set teeth, but it's that communication, collaboration, and care is what makes a successful removable prosthesis. Mm-hmm. Digital or analog, it doesn't matter. Wow. I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. Three C's. That's cool. So when did you open up your own? When did you open up the Denture Center? Yeah. So it was 2014. Really blessed and fortunate to have had a mentor for four years. And then just decided to to go on my own. Previous partner and I had bought this satellite location from a gentleman named Jim Bennett, still with me today. Mm-hmm. He's sixty. He's been doing dentures for over forty years. His dad was a dental technician, so they had a lab. And then Jim went to George Brown and became a denturist. Nice. So we bought Jim's practice, and then when I left my partnership, I bought that satellite office, and that was in two thousand fourteen, and it was eight hundred and ten square feet. One operatory or, you know, kind of paperwork office was in the same room as the <laughs> the polymethamethacrylate. So you could, <laughs> you could imagine what that was like with one small <laughs> transient window for ventilation. You know, just typical mom and pop shop, right? Old school place. In the first year, we grew 700% when I took Holy that over. Holy How did you find clients back then? Like, what did you market or did you? Yeah, so we did a little bit of advertising, but what? What really set me into the to the next level is following those those three core values and actually working with dentists and finding dentists that really love doing dentistry but like the interdisciplinary model and they have denture patients in their office they just don't want to treat it right yeah if it ain't broke don't fix it uh-huh. right <laughs> and so the model <laughs> the model started with you know just send me your garbage yeah you know what. Whatever you don't want to do, just send it to me. I'm on my own. I'll take anything. Doesn't matter. 
I'm the leftover guy. That's it. Just <laughs> give me the scraps. And the scraps quickly became the recyclables and then became the antiques and then became the, the high level or stuff. And we just grew that type of relationship. And then the word of mouth from the patients and the location was good. And Jim had been there for 30 plus years, right? So, but it was just kind of the mom and pop shop, like the convenience store, right? You go there for your pop and chips, you know, and you get your stuff. So from there, we built a state-of-the-art which at the time it was 2,800 square feet. Wow. And we're now 1,200% growth from 2014 when I started. We've added now, we're at 4,000 square feet. So we've added total digital manufacturing, uh, CAD cam rooms, photography studio, audio visual studios. Damn. You know, tons of offices, more operatories. Wow. Uh, but before all that glitz and glamour, I'm just going to backtrack for a second. My other goal was to, you know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to start a denture DSO, you know, here I am, I'm, you know, 25 years old and I'm going to have a hundred clinics and I'm going to do all this. And what happened was I had five clinics at one time and I, uh, you know, I just grew too much too fast. Couldn't manage it, you know, was going super, super, super into debt, just trying to keep it alive. Wow getting phone calls from the bank and it's like, what's going on here? Oh, you know, we just bought another practice. We, you know, everybody's got a story when they owe money, right? And oh, checks yeah. in the mail. Right? <laughs> and yeah, we hit, I hit some hard times. You know, we can talk about this openly on a podcast because I think the truth is important, right? And yeah. As entrepreneurs, there's always the, the heartaches. And uh, yeah, I remember being a pretty significant amount down in the bank calling and saying, listen, you got two weeks if we don't see something, I mean, we can't keep this going. So I went back in the lab and I lined up every single pan that was in progress. And let's just say in, in two weeks, I was able to clear all the debt. Wow. I worked about 20 hours every day to do it. But uh, so did that and then just kind of sold all those offices off. So we're now down to two locations here in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, and then just kind of shifted the focus and the direction into these two practices and really getting into digital technology. And that's what really allowed me to go from where it was to, to where it is today and continue to expand the, the current state of the denture center. Um, and then, you know, as you know, when COVID happened, I don't like to sit still. I do work about 80 to 100 hours a week, depending on what's going on, because I love being here, right? And we're busy, but I just, I love every minute of it. And you know, COVID happened, it's like, oh man, well, I'm not going to fly 79,000 miles like I did in 2019 all over mm. the world. So what do we do? You know what? Let's start an online education platform. You know, let's do it. Yeah. We're going to start with webinars. We're going to build uh, training videos. We're going to do all this stuff. Let, let's just, let's just see what happens. So, you know, we're able to, to really leverage that. Everybody was doing webinars, you know, kind of at that time, but we started to see the first webinar, we had about 86 people, 100 people register and about 50 show up. The next time, you know, it was 200, 120 show up. And then then it got to a point where we weren't getting any less than 500 registered and 300 people showing up to a webinar. But then you look at that and you say, but how do I monetize something like this, right? And that's where we built what we call Learn with the Denture Center. And what we found was people were getting into digital technology, but they didn't have a source of training. Right, because when you look at reseller training or just training in general, uh, for, let's say it doesn't matter, three shape, X, a CAD, 
you know, then Spicer doesn't matter who it is. The job of the company is to teach you how the buttons work, how to turn things on. It's just no different than dentistry, right? Here's an amazing cement. Okay, there's some protocols to follow with it, but the rep's job isn't to teach you how to go into the, the mouth, prep that crown and do everything properly to cement it, right? And, and it's very much the same with digital. And that's where we saw, you know, a big need for this online education platform that we built was to train people how to properly, effectively, efficiently, and predictably clinically treat a patient. So we have clinical videos and modules, scanning for both lab scanner and choral scanner, designed for both of those methodologies, and then manufacturing, and then clinical delivery of all these appointments from A to Z. Anything, immediate dentures, wax rims, intraoral scanning, just everything. Because my passion really is education, right? So spent the midst of COVID building this platform, have over 150 videos on there. Of course, there's costs to, to view the videos and you have a, I think you have it for two years and you can watch it a thousand times if you want. Um, but that's, that's really what I spent you know, COVID doing and, and the direction of the denture center and how we evolved, you know, during the time of, of COVID and didn't sit still. And, you know, now we have, I think we, we ended up 3,500 unique uh, subscribers to our programs, uh, 39 countries. Wow. Help me understand uh, what your opinion is of the difference between how you were able to make that successful. I've been on a few boards and we've tried to do the webinars and, and the teaching via that way. But like, obviously it's your energy and your expertise. I can hear it when you speak, but like, what do you think the difference was to make that take off to 3,500 people and see it grow so fast? Uh, content delivery? How are you able to do that? That's a great question, Barbara. And I think, I think it's a multitude of things. I think I do have an international presence. So I think that helps. Social media was definitely the biggest avenue of growth. So, you know, sharing, people liking, and, and the content, right? If you have something relevant that's relevant to people today, which Digital Dentures is one of the, if not the hottest topic in dentistry right now. Oh, for sure, you know, yeah. You know, the relevancy of it. And it's always new content. And I will, everybody knows this. You will never see the exact presentation from me ever. You might see a few of the same cases. The slides will always be organized different. The message will always be different. I always create a brand new keynote for every lecture I do. Doesn't matter. Like Chicago last year, I had four lectures. Every single one of them was a different keynote. How the hell do you do that? <laughs> you must stay up until like 3 a.m. I am ashamed to say sometimes, but uh, the night before. Yeah. I know a lot of people that do that. Two nights before, maybe sometimes. Just actually, we had the Three Shape Global Advisory Board meeting this week, and I presented on Wednesday. I started half of it uh, Tuesday morning, and then I finished it Tuesday night, and then I had four hours of sleep, and I finished it Wednesday morning before presenting. And one of the members called me after. He said, you're sick. So what are you talking about? He said, you slept for four hours, and you spent 16 hours building a keynote. He's like, how many keynotes do you have? I said, probably like a 1,000. Why don't you just slap a new title slide? I said, did you notice that it was different than every other presentation you saw? He says, yeah. I said, there's your answer. Wow. And I would say it is content, right? Because if you're always presenting the same thing, I've seen that case before. Yeah, I've seen that slide. It's it's not impressive. Yeah. Right. It's like a menu at a restaurant, right? Yeah. Even if it's your favorite restaurant, 
Isn't it great if you always have a oh, they had the special they had last week at there? Yeah. Amazing. Did you try it? No. Let's see what they have next week. And of course, we all have our favorites and we'll always go there for those things. But will you be enticed to go out of your way? Maybe not. No. Right? No. And I think content is the key. And I think near the end of COVID, I don't want to say the end of COVID, it's not over. But, yeah. you know, once people started the in-person again and people just got webinared out. And once the, the real lockdown of those three months went away, everyone's back to that new normalcy. But getting out there and it's like, all right, man, I'm not in my house anymore. I want to be with my kids. I want to be outside. I don't want to do another Zoom thing. for, for yep. a Agree. So when you're launching those or, or when you're doing those webinars, does your audience have a way to ask you questions and interact? Yeah. So they're a great question. They're fully, they, they're live, always live, never pre-recorded. So we, we welcome questions, all those types of things. And then that's where we found we were able to kind of monetize it a little bit. The, the webinar was, was the way to entice people to go further into our online education, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. We still provided it you know, 45 minutes to an hour of a, um, you know, great, great content, great keynote. But then we would promote the the clinical technical scanning training video for that specific webinar. So if I did a webinar on immediate dentures, then we would do a 50% off coupon on our immediate denture program, which, you know, is five or six hours of video content that, that you can watch and you can buy. And we would give a coupon special, you know, kind of on the webinar promoting that. And that's, that's how the actual online education of learn with the denture center grew kind of globally is because we would promote it on those webinars. And when you really think about it, there's not that much education with respect to removable. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's always been an issue. Yeah. Who do you think your largest audience is? Technicians or denturists? So we do polls on every webinar. So it's a great question. So I like data. Yeah. Yeah. It was primarily, if I was to say, to average all the webinars out that we did, which I think was like 40 during COVID. Mm. And for Denture Center, I think we did 20 webinars. I would say 60% denturist, 10 to 15 pros, you know, 10 to 15 Maybe not. Maybe 5% pros, 10% dentists, and the rest would be lab technicians, and then about 5% corporate. Oh, yeah. Wow. Corporate, eh? Interesting. Yeah, Got to see what's going on, right? Yes. We would have people from, you know, all over Dentsply. You have people from CareStream. You have people from Ivoclar, of course, 3Shape. You know, you'd have, you know, even a lot of corporate companies, you know, material companies on there as well, just kind of seeing what we're talking about. Wow. Yeah, you're big with Ivoclar. How did that connection happen? Yeah, great question. That actually started in school. Really? Wow. Yeah. So we were the first class from George Brown College. Part of our curriculum was to implement the biofunctional prosthetic system. So so for those out there listening it's or don't know what that is. Myself included. <laughs> yeah. So BPS stands for Biofunctional Prosthetic System, which is a denture concept from Ivoclar Bivident, uh, which has been around since I believe it was 1984, I believe it was introduced, but don't quote me on that, yeah, but sure. definitely since the 80s. And really the, the foundational principles of BPS was a clinical protocol and a technical protocol. So marrying the two professions together and really stressing on communication, quality, and collaboration. Is that the kit that came in that really big box? Yeah. That had like the ruler, it was called like Smile Line or something? So that's a Smile Design Kit, which follows some of the principles of the BPS. Okay, yeah. 
BPS, when it started, when you really think about it from a marketing standpoint, but but really just a strategic alliance between clinician and technician, it was, hey, if you want to do, do BPS dentures, here's the clinical protocols you need to follow. Mm-hmm. You want to be a BPS lab? Here's the technical aspects you have to follow, right? Yeah. And it really married a great clinical and technical relationship. So we were the first class, graduating class of George Brown to implement the system. So because I was a denture nerd and obsessed, well, I fell in love with BPS. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> Right up your alley there, Eric. <laughs> right up my alley. So I got to meet the national sales manager at the time, Rob Muir, who's now vice president of technical sales for Ivacar North America. Yes, I know him too. Rob, a dear friend today, still, of course. You know, Rob would kind of give me some free goods. Hey, Eric, check this out. Oh, you want to pull? I'll get you posters. I'll get you some of that. You know, we'll take care of you with this. And my nickname in school was Mr. Ivaclar. Mr. Ivaclar over here, Mr. Ivaclar, Mr. Ivaclar. And that's kind of how that really came to be. And then I, when I was in school, so we went to the perfecting your practice and Ivaclar shipped us to Amherst, New York on a bus. So everybody that was at this convention, when they launched the uh, SR Fenaris tooth, Hmm. Wow. Dr. Frank Cello at the time, still with Iva Clark today, director removal, gave a beautiful presentation. And then I kind of went up to him after and I said, oh, you know, really enjoyed your presentation and just started talking about a bunch of stuff. And he just said, who are you? <laughs> and, said, yeah. this. And, and, you know, that was in 2009. I got his card. We stayed in touch. And then, you know, from that point on, it's I don't want to say it's history, but it it is. And and. When I look at my relationship with Ivaclar and the evolution, and I don't know if you remember the old System 1 Accudent material. Sounds familiar. Which was a yeah. syringe and a tray material for taking impressions. So my first kind of collaboration with Ivaclar was testing the what's called today Accudent XD because the patent was running out me on System 1 and System 2. Mm-hmm. And my the way I gave clinical and technical advice and those types of things, and that's that's how it grew. And then I was part of beta testing the Fenaris 2. So the second evolution of the uh, artificial denture teeth. And then that led into 2014 when I was the first alpha beta tester for digital denture. 2014. I'll never forget the day. I had literally two weeks before that left my practice and went out on my own Mm -hmm. and went out to Ivacar to just kind of let them know what my vision and my plans. And then you know, Dr. Frank pulls up these slides and stops it halfway through. And that's all I can show you for now. But I want to know if you're interested. And I just said, tell me who, what, when, where, how, why, I don't know where I'm in. And yeah, I never looked back from that point. And so was doing that with, with Ivaclar and 3Shape. And through every iteration you could think of of digital denture during that testing, because digital denture from Ivaclar didn't really launch into the North American market till late 2017. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you really think it launched IDS initially 2015. And then with the evolution of at that time, which we call the, when I say we, which I have a Clark, excuse me, called the oversized milling process. And that was a game changer to be able to mill a monolithic arch of teeth and polymerize that together to a base and then final mill it in the machine, as opposed to bonding individual carded teeth. And that that's really what, brought digital denture into the market. But the other iterations that we were working on years prior to that were pretty interesting, you know, milling wax and, you know, putting teeth into wax and then pouring a model and Ivo basing it. And, you know, you look at how catastrophic getting rid of your tooth business could be to a company like Ivo, sure, right? Yeah. But, oh, yeah. you know, we all know millions and millions and millions of dollars of uh, 
and artificial teeth. And really a decision was made long ago that this is the future. And and still today, carded teeth still, I'm sure, biggest part of their business or one of. Oh, I'm sure. I can't yeah. speak to it actually, but we can assume. Yeah, that's that's really how that that relationship nurtured. And then I got closer with Three Shape. Yeah, how'd you learn Three Shape? Did you teach yourself? You know, I was really fortunate to be taught Three Shape by really <laughs> some of the forefathers and the de- developers. Uh, a very dear friend of mine, Lee Culp, uh, Bill Barton, who's the lead uh, technician at Ivaclar for Digital Dentures, Taras Kucher, developer of the denture software from Three Shape. So I've had a lot of mentors really along the way that helped me develop and work with the R&D teams to get this technology to where it is today. So my call it Three Shape University really came from people that had core foundation of, of the ins and outs in the software. And I've seen every iteration of it from 14 all the way to now 21, you know, and working now going to be working on 22 with the development team. So that's really where my formal training, if you could call yeah. it, uh, came was with the development teams from Ivaclar and as well as Three Shape. So you were beta testing the mill denture. Uh, yep. And how was that early denture? Was it nearly what it is now or... You know, it's it's interesting, Elvis, the first denture we did, so the, my first clinical case seated in, in 2015 was with individual Phanaris teeth bonded to a, a milled base. Yeah. And I will tell you, when I took that out of the bag, because it, it came from Liechtenstein, and I said, wow, look at this <laughs> uniform thickness. Look at this bilateral balance. Of, like, just look at this thing. Yeah. You know, and then everything's going through my head. I didn't pour a model. I didn't beat and box. I didn't yeah. pour, trim, sandpaper, articulate, right? Model analysis, wax up, set up, try it. Like it was all done digitally. And then of course, boiling out, cleaning all, all the, you know, conventional steps that we have. And when I put it in the mouth and everything was just dead on, that changed my life forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was like, you know, flat screen TV, you know, <laughs> it was just, wow. Or, or, you know, for tool and die industry, CNC. Yeah. I have a tool and die background I, every year. I don't say background, but every year for my optional courses in high school was tool and die. I had eight semesters of tool and die. You know, so I've used a lathe. I've used all those those tools. And seeing this is, is what did it for me. So for my personal experience, you know, my first one was really great. But to see where the evolutions come, it's amazing. And to see where the software has come now is is amazing compared to years ago of how automated, even scanning used to take four and a half minutes to scan a stone model or mm. an impression. You know, now there's scanners that can do it in nine seconds, Yeah. right? Or as little as a minute and 15 for a very entry level scanner, you know, 45 seconds even. Yep. For sure. So to see that evolution, you know, it was amazing. And now, so I was part of product development. So alpha testing with the new monolithic Ivotion disc, and I'm sure you've seen it or oh, heard yeah, of it. For sure. Which I was had the honor of showing at the midwinter meeting before the world shut down. <laughs> so we worked the project. It was really in development for almost five years. And I got involved about three years ago. And I rem- I'll never forget. I, I remember being in Liechtenstein and, and them showing it to me. And I was like, this will never work. Oh, really? And and printing at the time, and we're talking three years ago, yeah. right? So 
this is, you know, we were doing early on stages of printing dentures for transitionals and the material wasn't where it is today, to be honest with you. But, you know, I, I'm thinking I'm going to this R&D meeting in Liechtenstein. I'm going to be seeing the 3D printed resin of the future, right? Mm-hmm. And then you show me this disc and it's like, well, where's the printed material? Yeah. And it's like, this will never work. Then they deep dive down the rabbit hole and start to really explain the concept and how it works. And then it's like, you know what? I get it because if you think about automation, right? What's the purpose of automation? It's to reduce manual labor. It's not to get rid of the job of the technician. It's to diversify that position, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And when you look at iVotion, you think of, you design a denture digitally. You send that one file to the milling machine. The denture file can only be nested one way in that disk. It's not up. It's not this way, that way right, left, it just, it auto nests yeah. itself, bang. So then you've now just eliminated anywhere between six to 10 minutes of cam time. And then you put that one disc in the machine and it goes through one uninterrupted milling process in some cases as little as an hour and 15 minutes and sometimes as high as two hours. But again, then you're taking one denture out of a machine and you're trimming and polishing that denture and you can add characterization and you can do all those things. Mm-hmm. But when you really look at the true innovation and simplicity of a true, let's say the most automated digital denture workflow today, it's unrivaled. It's it's unparalleled. There, there's, there's no one seamless integration like this currently today. Right. Even with the oversized milling, you still have to mill a base separate, mill tea separate, polymerize that together, cure that in the pressure pot, put it back into the machine and mill a final denture. Yeah. Right. But we're talking one disc, one denture, one milling process. Right. And that was just to me mind blowing once you understood that. Wow. And it fits anywhere between 85 to 92 percent of, of dental arches tested. There's some limitations, of course. It's I, I say it's one size fits most. Mm-hmm. It's not one size fits all by any means. And then in those cases that don't fit the disc, you can do a, a two-step process or or you can get into printing, you know? And then, you know, just a little bit more on kind of the training and we look at trios. So I remember meeting with Rune and he's like, yeah, you know, lab stuff, but why don't you try trios? Like, why don't we get a, a trios in your hands? Like, you should buy a trios. So for what? <laughs> let's push the envelope like not just a dentalist scanning like what what do you think you could do with this thing i don't know partials okay let you know, we'll give you a great deal but you know just try it you know so so buy buy a trios and i try it and it sits in the closet for six months oh really wow wow so what's the matter okay this uh, we, we need this what we need to do we have to develop streamlined workflows and, and scan strategies and, and this type of for dentures he said, you got all this for crown and bridge. You have it for implants, but we don't have a validated denture workflow. (laughs) 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 Thus came the launch in 2020 of the optimized digital denture workflow. So work together with uh, Rune and the team on really making this thing go and making this thing work. And I can tell you, I can't live without it. We still have lab scanners here, but I will tell you nine times out of 10 when I'm doing a denture case, it's with trios. It doesn't mean I'm always doing intraoral scanning that don't mistake me on that. But even if I'm scanning impressions and you look at sterility, you know, I keep that in the operatory, right? Nothing's changing. Nothing's leaving. You look at it from even a dentist perspective, you know, they can scan an allergen impression in Brazil and send it to me here in Canada. So that's the other thing during COVID that we did is we started a digital denture lab. So 
because not all the whole world was shut down. So I do work with quite a few prosthodontists in the, in the United States and in Canada, some general dentists as well, and actually all over the world because all the files are sent digitally. And most of our clients use Trios, believe it or not. Interesting. So Trios really has come from being a chair side or just an intraoral scanning tool for crown and bridge and implant dentistry and orthodontics to now what I firmly, in a complete unbiased manner, the most unrivaled intraoral scanner from an end-to-end workflow solution for digital dentures because it's been optimized to scan intraorals, tissues, Mm-hmm. denture impressions, as well as scanning dentures to make copy dentures. And again, that, that translates right into their software, right? So when you have a company that's developing not just the scan strategies, the scanning software, but then the design software, right? It, it marries together hand in hand to the three C's, communication, collaboration, and care, right? Nice. And do all the dentures you do at your denture center, are they milled iVotion? So... It really depends on the indication. So Ivotion is what I call, it's a good or a great denture. Yeah. It is still a monolithic, monochromatic PMMA material. So you don't have a polychromatic appearance on the teeth. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you're looking for that optimized strength, like immediate dentures, all on four dentures, implant over dentures, you know, it really provides you that. We also use it for transitional dentures, interim dentures, or call it economy dentures even. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then for our, our patients that really require and, and or that we offer the highest aesthetic results is with the multi-layer. So it's not an Ivotion. It's an Ivotion denture, but it's not the one piece monolithic. So it's a polychromatic monolithic arch. So the arch is milled separately. It's bonded into the base and then that's brought back into the machine. And then for patients that require the highest aesthetics, we'll do an individual carded tooth workflow. But still on the milled base. Everything's milled Correct. for the base. It depends all this. I, I will tell you truthfully, what we saw early on with this milling bases and bonding carded teeth were midline fractures because you have all those points of separation. Yeah. And you have an auto polymerized PMMA doing the polymerization between the denture tooth and the milled base. So what we actually started doing a little bit was a hybrid for those cases. So we print the base in any material, not any material, but a, a try-in material. And then we take a wash impression inside that during the try-in stage, pour stone model, and then we'd injection mold it with IvoBase. So you're still getting a heat polymerized PMMA bond between the artificial tooth and the denture base per mm-hmm. se. Yeah. And you're still digitally manufacturing the uniform thickness, the occlusion, everything in that regard. So it's kind of a little bit of a hybrid workflow. Yeah, I get you. That's amazing. Eric, we could probably keep going for another hour. Um, but unfortunately, we would lose all of our listeners if we did a two-hour episode. So let's wrap up. What are you working on now? What's next? I mean, I'm sure you're excited to get out in the world again and yes. start speaking. I'm sure you're lining up lab days and what's going on? Yeah, great question. So they're, they're starting to come up, but then on the other end, you see COVID numbers come up and yeah. then you got the Blamer, this meeting may or may not happen with all the legal jargon. But I mean, I cannot wait to get back on to a stage and, and really start lecturing and, and really sharing where we've gone and, and two years now of wh- where things are going. And, you know, I'm always asked, you know, wh- what's the next evolution or where do you see things? You know, I think printing's really coming a long way. I still, on a personal note, feel that the true milled polymethylmethacrylate material is still the most biocompatible, wear-resistant and aesthetic material today on the market. 
But there's some really interesting innovations that are currently out there in the market from a lot of companies. You know, Dense by Sharona's got the 199 print. Oh, yeah. Vision just launched the Flexera base and teeth or Flexera Smile, as they call it, mm-hmm. for their tube material, which is the nano ceramics. I've, I've heard the Sprint Rays launching a high impact material. So I think there's a lot of material science innovations that are happening right now. We're testing all these materials. We have all these materials. You know, so I always feel oh, all this guy talks about is billing and it's no, no, no. We're not ignorant to what's going on in the industry, but we like to validate things. We like to have a proof of concept with everything that we do. We also have to be Health Canada compliant. Uh, with things that we do and not all these materials by any means are health Canada approved. Mm. Um, so it's some of a limitation, yep. but you know, where do I really see the future? Less than 3% of dentures today are done digitally around the world. I'd like to see that number in the next two to three years, at least hit 10 to 15%. And I think it will. I think you're seeing people after COVID really adapting to digital because you're saving appointments. We're currently working on a clinical study right now. Some early numbers to report out of 50 patients, average appointments was 2.46. Average adjustments was 1.58. Wow. Some numbers for partials. All of our partials are selective laser sintered from a company called 3D RPD. With a only out of 50 patients, a 9% remake rate of castings. And that's just due to some inaccuracies and some scans or patients not coming back right in time to get their restoration. So, and average appointment for those was 2.76, you know, so you're taking a four to five, six appointment procedures, bringing them down to an average of 2.5 to three. You're going to see a big adaption to this model. And I think it's coming faster than people can realize. So I, I would say to anybody out there, I mean, this is the next evolution. I think you're going to see some interesting things coming out from some milling solutions as well, materials, but definitely excited about the future of, of, of 3D printing, uh, milling solutions as well. Where is iVotion going to be, you know, in the next few years? What type of innovation? Because this is generation one, right? Yeah. This is Emprint, yeah. right? Yeah. So where's Emacs? Where's the Emacs? Yeah. You know? It's coming. Yeah. It's going to be amazing, the stuff that's going to be in our market in the next five years. AI dentures i think we'll see that's my take yeah and we're going to keep focusing on our online education as well and, and and keep growing that to help educate the world on again not just software but clinical consultations clinical aspects clinical principles protocols design scan all those things to help treat these removal patients that that really deserve this time and consideration yeah we appreciate your perspective you know of the technical side but also the clinical side it's a lot of technicians don't get that perspective, and it's nice to hear it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I think that a lot of technicians also sometimes aren't thanked for what they do. So, you know, to all you technicians out there listening, I've spent my time at the bench too, and I uh, still do today. And you guys are the ones also helping engineer and changing these lives. You know, just like a house, the builder might get all the recognition, but the engineer that designed it or the framer really helped build that foundation. So, you guys keep doing what you're doing out there to help change lives and, and communicate, collaborate, and most importantly, you got to care. Awesome. Eric. Thank you. Yeah, we appreciate it. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing you live sometime soon. Yep. Look forward to it. Elvis and Barbara, honor, pleasure to be here today and share this time with you. And thanks for everybody for listening. Awesome. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You as well. Bye. Growth3x is a dental supply, service, and marketing company. 
It was founded by Norbert Ulmer, and their goal is to help dental labs, especially small labs, to lower their costs for supplies, to provide business opportunities, and help them generate growth. They really want to help labs as they know how difficult it can be competing with larger lab groups. One of the things that they have going on right now is their upcoming Grow3x Gem Talks. It's on November 5th in Charlotte, North Carolina. What is a Grow3x Gem Talks? Well, it's an all-day marketing symposium in a TED Talk style featuring some 10-plus lab speakers as they share their most relevant and practical marketing techniques. We will hear from Sasha... We will hear from Sasha from Harvest Dental, Ann Kelser from AMK Dental Lab, Frankie Acosta from AA Dental Design, and Ricky Braswell from Beyond Coaching and former co-executive director of the NADL. A few past podcast guests are on that list. All of them will talk about real marketing as it is done in their own labs and businesses every day. Register now at Grow3x.com to take advantage of their early bird special of only $95. And if you enter the discount BFTV for Voices from the Bench, you'll receive an extra 10% discount just because you listen to this podcast. We can't wait to see you at Grow3x Gym Talks in Charlotte on November 5th. So big thanks to Eric for coming on our podcast to tell us about your unique story. It is great to hear your experience so early in the adaptation of the digital denture workflow. If you want to get some training from someone who is using it every day and even has clinical experience, then head over to learn.thedenturecenter.ca. Yeah, that's how they do it in Canada. Okay. And take a look at some of Eric's courses. There are many to choose from for your lab technicians and your clinicians. It even looks like he has some upcoming courses that is in person, thank God, because everybody wants to travel. So thanks again to Eric, and we can't wait to see you on stage soon. Awesome, everybody. That's all we got for you. Happy week. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. in the middle of getting my hair done.